Pew Research poll of last December 2020 discovered that four in 10 adults believe that the end of the world is near, that we're living in the end times. How about you? Four in 10, that means maybe six in 10 don't. Yeah. Honestly, though, people have been saying that we're in the end times uh, since the first century. And the majority of people, this survey shows, that believe we're in the end times are evangelicals at 63%. You don't often see an Episcopalian walking around with a sign that says the end is near. The same study showed that 55% of Americans, adults, believe that Jesus will bodily return to the earth someday, 75% of Christians and 93% of evangelicals. In my evangelical period of my life, which was most of my life, we had a steady stream of end-of-the-world warnings and Jesus is coming back, so look busy sermons. <laughs> and that is still going on today. And a major piece of this end-of-the-world uh, theme and Jesus is coming back theme in the evangelical world is what we're talking about in our 90s Christianity Jesus Freak series, and that is the rapture. The rapture is that period of time or that event in the, we were always told that's imminent, in which Jesus will come back and swoop up all of the true Christians. And for some reason, the whole uh, rapture event has to do with losing your clothes. <laughs> I'm not really sure why that is the case. I don't know why it's a nude event, but we just all leave our clothes and we saunter naked into paradise, I guess. Uh, which I just can't imagine that was being taught in Southern Baptist world, but that's what we were taught. Um, the rapture is, uh, is a whole part of that. I do like the naked uh, pastor. Speaking of naked, uh, there's a guy named uh, David Hayward who uh, calls his uh, website and his ministry the naked pastor because he's just authentic and transparent. But he has a, a take on the rapture. Instead of us being raptured, our clothes are raptured, and we're left right here. We're talking today about left behind and the rapture uh, understanding of the end times and then of the return of Jesus was expressed popularly in 1990s by the Left Behind series of books by Tim LaHaye and Jerry uh, Jenkins. There were 16 novels in all. And they sold more than 65 million copies. So it was a big, big movement in uh, Christianity, evangelical Christianity. The first one was written in 1995 and the last one in 2007. So how big of an impact did the Left Behind series of books have? How many of y'all read those? Anybody? Yeah, there's quite a few smattering throughout there. Our boys read both of them. Our boys were born in 85 and 87, and they just consumed those books. I didn't agree with the books, but uh, I'm, I don't ban books, so I let them read it, and we talked about it after, after they read it. So uh, it had a big impact. Uh, Jerry Falwell, as many of us will remember, said, in terms of Left Behind's impact on Christianity, it's probably greater than that of any other book in modern times outside of the Bible. So... The basic idea of left-behind theology is something like this. 
Jesus is coming again, and this time he's bringing some attitude. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of that movie uh, Tombstone about Wyatt Earp, played by uh, Kurt Russell, who is sporting one righteous uh, handlebar mustache in that movie. Well, Wyatt is shuffling out of town because uh, his, his enemies have humiliated him, and uh, they shot his best friend. And so this group have put him on a train and sending him back east and getting them out. Uh, and instead of using this rejection experience, this harsh experience, as an opportunity to go back to east and become an awesome country music writer, he takes revenge. And he kills all of his escorts except one, and he wounds his, that escort. And he tells that one escort who he saved but wounded to go back with this message, and he shouts this message in the driving rain, tell them I'm coming back and hell's coming with me. Well, the left behind view of the end times has Jesus coming back and saying, I'm coming back and tell them I'm bringing hell with me. It's, they have the left behind view has Jesus in essence saying, you didn't like me the first time, you didn't like the meek and mild me the first time. Uh, you tried to get rid of me. You thought the cross was the final word on this. Well, just remember, I'm coming back, and hell is coming with me. So, in the whole left behind theory, Jesus comes back to defeat the bad guy's violence with good guy's violence. And it's a very violent, violent picture that the left behind view of the end times has. But before Jesus comes back and he breathes fire on all of the non-Christians, uh, he uh, comes in uh, like a thief in the night. And he, with a heavenly hoover, sucks up all the true Christians and takes the true Christians back to heaven with him where all the true Christians have a front row seat to the destruction and the pain and the uh, devastation that people are going to go through through the great tribulation. So the moral of the story is to be the kind of Christian who gets raptured in the first place so you can escape the tribulation. And that was a big evangelistic point in the churches that many of us grew up in. Uh, basically, the essence is this. Get right or get left. Yeah, get right with God or get left behind. The best part of the scenario, however, is that those who are raptured in the first place have an entire eternity to say, I told you so. And that's kind of what we were taught, that we were kind of a special group of people that were going to be saved from this terrible uh, tribulation to come. One of our favorite writers uh, tragically died a few years ago, Rachel Held Evans, I think expresses what a lot of us went through, that most of us who were raised evangelical in America know this story and live some variation of it, the end times, the rapture, the great tribulation. We anticipated these events the way one anticipates a Beyonce album drop, with excitement that it could happen at any moment and a quiet fear that maybe it won't be everything we dreamed it would be. Well, this is a view that I had as a child, as a grade schooler as junior high and high school. Uh, 
but I left behind the left behind version of the end times. And I let go of that understanding of the end times, not as a result of my most recent deconstruction and reconstruction over the last 20 years. I let it go when I was uh, in college. Uh, I had a New Testament professor, Dr. Gerald Cohen, at that uh, Baptist college 30 miles north of here at Bolivar, Missouri, now called SBU, who taught us, I think this was my sophomore year at college, that the whole idea of the rapture came around in 1830 from the teaching of a guy who's a British evangelist named John Nelson Darby. And John Nelson Darby developed this very uh, intricate system of understanding the last days. And uh, he called it the rapture. And uh, John Nelson Darby traveled a lot to the United States where he taught this theory of the coming of Jesus through the rapture. And he got a really warm reception. And if you remember that time of, of American history, the, uh, it was a time in which we were going through the Civil War. Brother was fighting brother. Father was fighting against son. And, uh, you know, half a million people had died in that war. And so people were really ready to embrace a view that said, it's going to get us out of here. We need something to, to get us, to rapture us out of this mess that we are in. And so this message of John Nelson Darby really did catch on in our country. And it was really solidified through three things in the United States. There was a Schofield Reference Bible. And that was a Bible that was uh, published by C.I. Schofield. And he had in his Bible, this was the first guy that put reference notes, explanations under the text and he really did push this rapture theory and that was the bible in evangelical circles uh denise and i we probably have between us eight schofield bibles that's the only bible i read for most of my life until uh i just gave up on this whole theory and then moody bible institute that trained preachers and dallas theological seminary that, tra that trains preachers, they all have this view of revelation. That revelation is all about predicting the future instead of seeing the book of Revelation as I presently do as an allegory that describes what is happening to an oppressed people who are under the rule of the Roman Empire. And uh, a lot of the people who hold the rapture theory take it very literal. Uh, approach to the book of Revelation. Well, after these institutions and the, and, and the Scofield Bible, we all know Billy Graham, and he started preaching the rapture in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and then that was followed by this book that I read as a, as a freshman in high school, uh, The Late Great Planet Earth, and our youth group studied this book, and then my kids were introduced to the series of uh, rapture views through the Left Behind series. And then dozens of preachers and evangelists and other end-time influencers uh, have uh, propagated this view of the end times. So a lot of people do, still today, hold to a left-behind theology that people are going to be raptured up and taken to heaven while the rest of the world is going to go through uh, the tribulation. In fact, the rapture theory 
is a part of the Assemblies of God uh, doctrinal statement. It's one of their fundamental truths that they hold, and that's something that's very important. Most evangelical churches hold to that, uh, Bible churches and other evangelical churches. But a lot of us are questioning that view who grew up with it, and let me just mention a couple of reasons why. The first reason a lot of us have given it up is because of rapture anxiety, we are so afraid that we were going to get left behind that we would uh, ask Jesus into our heart almost on a daily basis because we were so scared that we would be left behind. And this is a big push, especially in youth groups of evangelism. You don't want to be left behind. And so we even taught children that. And a lot of children at VBS came, raised their hand that they wanted to be baptized because they didn't want to be left behind. It's just sad and really just dangerous manipulation that we we are we're guilty of uh, there is a, a TikTok person that talks in her own humorous way about this rapture anxiety that really does express it better than i take a look at this girl apparently the rapture was supposed to happen today may 22nd my husband wanted me to clean today <laughs> it's like what's the point we're leaving but I'll do it just because I'm supposed to submit to your husband. But honestly, I can completely relate. I can't tell you how many times growing up, I genuinely believed that the rapture was coming. There were times me and my brothers would stand as kids in the kitchen, looking out the window to the sky and count down 10, 9, 8. And we genuinely believed that when we got to zero, the trumpet would sound, Jesus would appear in the sky, and we would be sucked up in the air with them, naked, leaving our clothes behind, because for some reason, clothes couldn't make it to heaven. I don't know. But we believed it, and I was so excited to go to heaven to see Jesus. But as I got older, that excitement turned to dread. One, I was terrified of being left behind and have to face the Great Tribulation and the Antichrist and have to get my head chopped off and I refused to mark of the beast, which obviously I would do because if I took it, that was a ticket straight to hell. And one time I legit thought I was left behind and that was not fun. Or two, I dreaded the rapture happening too soon because I begged God not to come until I was on my wedding night so I could have sex first and not be raptured a virgin. Anyway, it's great to see that there's a whole new generation being traumatized by this doctrine that was not even a belief in Christianity until the 1800s. I'm not salty about it. <laughs> and that's basically my whole message right there. It really is. Uh, so rapture anxiety, I, we, we got to the point where we just understood God is not the God of fear. That God is a God of love and this anxiety that we have over this, over this just can't be, uh, we, we, it just didn't gel right with us. And so a lot of us gave up on the rapture view because of that anxiety that we felt. But I, I took it a step further, and Dr. Cohen, my New Testament professor, helped me get take a fresh look at Scripture. Uh, the Scripture in the Christian Scripture that most rapture believers point to, uh, the only time the word rapture, so to speak, is really used is in uh, the letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. Take a look at that. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command. And this is what the girl was kind of referring to. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be suddenly caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. 
Tim LaHaye, the author of the Left Behind series, said that the rapture is clearly taught in this passage. Now, you remember what I've always said. Whenever a pastor or preacher says the Bible clearly says something, just run like hell. Because <laughs> it's not clear. And uh, I, I disagree respectfully with, uh, with Tim LaHaye on this. Take a look, if you will, at that phrase caught up there in verse 17, the third line from the top. The word caught up there is uh, a, a Greek word that a guy named uh, Jerome, who wrote the Latin Vulgate, which is the basic uh, Bible for the Catholic Church. He wrote it around 380, uh, and uh, it is just kind of the standard book, a Bible for the Catholic Church. But he translated that Greek word, rapier, and uh, I'm not pronouncing that correctly in Latin, I'm sure, but that's where we got our word rapture from the Latin Vulgate on that. But the word does mean to be caught up, and so there is, Paul, and Paul understands this as there is a sense that we are caught up when Jesus comes back. And then there's that word meet there in that second line from the bottom, caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Let's look at that just for a second, because what does that really mean? I want us to understand that Paul in this verse is using some empire language, language that was familiar to the Roman Empire and the residents of the Roman Empire. He starts off with the phrase, for the Lord himself. Well, the word Lord was a title that belonged to Caesar. So really, whenever in the Christian scripture you see the word Lord, it's like the writer is just like slamming Caesar. He's like saying, Caesar, you think you're the Lord, but really Jesus is the Lord. And so this is just very strong Roman Empire language that Paul is talking about. And Paul is taking an experience that happened with the Caesar, what happened with the emperor, and applying that to the coming of Christ. The the tradition for the Caesar was this. Whenever the emperor would leave Rome, go on a trip, vacation, go out to war or whatever, and then when we come back, there would always be a welcoming committee that would meet the emperor on the road back into Rome. So they would go meet the emperor. They would sing his praises and all this kind of stuff, your great emperor and all that kind of stuff. And then together, the emperor and all this welcoming committee would continue the journey back into, the, into Rome. So the emperor's going to Rome, and he's met by all this, his fans, and then together the emperor and the fans complete the journey to Rome. And so Dr. Cohen told all of us uh, new preacher boys there at Southwest Baptist College that that's very likely what Paul was thinking about when he talks about the Christians meeting Jesus in the air. The left behind theology says that Christians meet Jesus in the air and go on up to heaven. But Dr. Cohen told us, and there are so many other scholars who are now saying this today, that more than likely what Paul is referring to, but nobody really knows because Paul's not here to tell us what he's thinking. But more than likely, culturally, Paul is saying that Christians meet Jesus in the air and then they join him as he comes back to earth that we don't get taken up to heaven, we just come right back to earth. And Jesus sets up his kingdom of peace, and he sets up his, 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 the world 
that he prayed for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's all about coming back to the earth. And that's a third thing that helped me let go of the left behind theory. That the coming of Christ and the end of the world in those terms is not about escaping the earth. We were always taught, come to Jesus and escape the, tri the great tribulation. I don't believe that that's the purpose of the end times. It's about restoring the earth. Paul prays, and Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8, that the entire creation is groaning for redemption. That the planet is going to be redeemed. We're going to go back to the garden in that metaphorical term, to that perfect environment. Uh, in the last book of, of, of the Christian scriptures, the book of Revelation, and next to the last chapter, John writes this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a, a, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them and they will be his people and God himself will be with him. John points out something very interesting to me, that this new Jerusalem doesn't stay in heaven, whatever the heavens are. And heaven here doesn't necessarily mean the spiritual, theological heaven. It's just the sky. He saw this vision happening in the sky. So the city of Jerusalem, which is always a metaphor for the, the residence of God, that's where God's presence is. The presence of God, this new Jerusalem, doesn't stay in the sky. It comes back down to earth. It's a rapture in reverse. Instead of us going up at the end times, God comes down at the end times. Yeah. And when God comes down at the end times, is it possible that the prophecy that goes all the way back to our, our the Hebrew prophets in the Hebrew scripture, when Isaiah says, and the wolf shall lie with the lamb, live with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and, and the calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Uh, uh, no, uh, no meat eaters in those days. Boy, that's going to be hell for some of y'all. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The entire earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. We'll have an intimate relationship is what that knowledge means. The word knowledge in the Hebrew was often used to describe uh, sexual intercourse. And so there was a, just a very intimate experience with God and the entire earth will be filled with that intimacy with God and that's what Isaiah dreamed about and is it possible that that's what the end time is and we're working toward that now that instead of us leaving earth we're going to experience on earth the beauty that God has always planned for us so my understanding is today it could be that God comes down instead of us going up. And then we see this. Isaiah writes about this time of peace. 
yet left behind theology will believe in a thousand year millennium. They take that very literally in the book of Revelation, a, a thousand years of, of peace. Uh, but they say that that peace will come only as a result of violence. We, most of us know Mark Driscoll, and he said about this a few years ago. In, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is a prize fighter with a tattoo down his leg, a sword in his hand, and the commitment to make someone bleed. That is a guy I can worship. I cannot worship the hippy-dippy, I don't know why it's his diaper there, it was a typo, the hippy-dippy halo Christ, because I cannot worship a guy I can beat up. A lot of us in our American culture, we talked about this with toxic masculinity a week or so ago, it's just we don't like the pink-wearing, meek and mild Jesus. Yeah. We want that tough guy. We want that fighter. We want our Jesus to be more violent than the enemy so our Jesus can defeat the enemy with more and more strength. My question to you is this. How does the Jesus described here by Driscoll match up with the Jesus that you know in the Gospels? The Jesus of the Gospels is a Jesus who chooses to die for his enemies instead of using his power against his enemies. And then this Jesus commands his followers to do the very same thing. Yeah. I wonder what happened to that Jesus. Well, maybe nothing. Maybe the problem is that us who believed in the left-behind theology read the book of Revelation and other end-times passages literally instead of allegorically. Yeah. Just how violent will Jesus be at the end times to overcome his enemies. Let's take a look at a few passages in Revelation. And for some reason, our clock is not working up there. How am I doing on time? Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's hurry. In Jesus' right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Okay, so Jesus wasn't holding this sword. The sword came out of his mouth. So why do you think Jesus uses to defeat his enemies. What symbol is coming from that passage? Maybe it's the words of Jesus. Yeah, there's no stabbing, there's no slicing, there's no dicing. There's just the words of Jesus. Go back and read the words of Jesus. Revelation continues that same thought further on at the end of the book. Jesus is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So there is Jesus all dipped in blood. And so a lot of, I believe, when in the left behind days of my life, that well, he was dripping and dipped in blood of his enemies. But this passage is right before the battle even starts so jesus comes into the battle already bleeding so whose blood is on him he hasn't even begun to fight yet he comes into the battle 
with blood. Let's take a look. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Same thing that we saw in the first chapter. He strikes down the nations with a word. Yeah, and to strike down the nations just means he brings those nations under his rule. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of, of God Almighty. Go on to Revelation 5. John says, I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God. Saints from every tribe and language and people and nation, you've made them a kingdom of priests, and they will reign on the earth. And on and on and on it goes. In the last part in verse 12, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. So in Revelation 19, when the lamb, or when Jesus comes and his robe is dripping with blood, you know whose blood I think that is? It's his own blood. The blood that was shed on the cross. Jesus comes to defeat his enemies and to rule the world, not with violence and power over people and over enemies, it's not to make them bleed. He comes and he shows us this is how God rules. This is what the world is like when God rules the nations, that he leads us by love, by serving us, by willing to sacrifice for us. This is not a warrior. This is a lamb coming down who had been slaughtered. The way of God is so different than the way of humanity. And what I'm afraid we have done is imposed our own humanity on the divine. And we have created God in our own image. We're violent. We like revenge. We like vengeance. We like to pay back. So I want a God who gets revenge. I want a God who pays back. But I read Revelation as... No, that's not how God rules this world. And at the end times, it's not going to be brought in by violence. Jesus will come back and God will rule this earth with patience and with kindness and peace. As Micah prays, do justice and love, mercy and kindness and walk humbly with God. I close with this. Nah, too many verses. Every time we talk about the end of the world, we're always talking about our view of God, about God's way and, and about how God cares for this world. Bottom line, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever, even toward the end of the age. The reason I gave up the left-behind theology Ultimately, is because I just didn't think it looked like God's love. 
And I believe that God's love lasts forever. Try to find all the times in Scripture where it talks about God's love lasting forever. Just in Psalm 136, the chapter right there, I, I couldn't count the number of times because I had ten fingers and ten toes, and I had to go back and start all over with my ten fingers and ten toes. Just line after line after line, the psalmist is saying, remember, God's love endures forever, forever, ever. And the left-behind theology, I abandoned that because it is contradictory to the character I understand God to be of one who loves forever. He says to love your enemies, to do good to them who persecute you. Yeah. I do believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he does not change from the Gospels to the book of Revelation. So I encourage you to think about it. And if you are still holding on to the uh, left-behind theology, to the rapture and to the violence, then I just encourage you to think about this. A new way. Yeah.